This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I'm joined by David Hughes. Dave, how are we getting on? I'm very good, thanks mate. Um, well, as good as can be, you know. How's the wig? It's getting long. You know, I don't want to bring this uh, kind of regular topic from last year back into the new year, but I'm getting a little bit concerned because it's it's come up to eight weeks since I've had my haircut and feels like it's happening all over again. Uh, so yeah, I'm, that's the that's the one downside. I'm, I'm struggling to uh, to keep it in any sort of shape at the moment. So I might have to find a haircut on the black market. I think. <laughs> This is relevant, and when it's relevant, we will talk about it on this podcast. It's important. <laughs> um, what else is important is Liverpool's current situation. Uh, Liverpool's current situation isn't actually too different to when we last spoke. We've only played once, and it was in one of the domestic cups um, against a gang, of, a gang of kids as well. So Liverpool's situation isn't that different. The league situation is, because Liverpool are now in second place, we are recording on the Wednesday before anyone else plays. But Manchester United last night leapfrogged Liverpool by three points. Big news. First time it's happened. It feels like in a long time. And funnily enough, it's happened in the same week that Liverpool actually faced United for the first time this season at Anfield on Sunday. So it's quite a big one, this big podcast preview in the game. That's all we're going to talk about this episode. So, you know, it might be shorter. We'll see where we go with it. Um, just before we do, I'd like to quick word on the newsletters. We haven't mentioned the newsletters for a while. Um, Analyzing Anfield newsletter was was migrating over to a new platform over the course of the Christmas period. It's there now. I've sent out one or two since. The last one that I sent out was on the whole centre-back thing. Um, and for some reason... That ended up in my junk mail. I'm not really sure why. Uh, so if you want to receive Analyzing Anfield newsletters, if you've signed up and all that sort of stuff, maybe check your junk just in case it's gone there. I will be sending one out this week on Thursday on Bruno Fernandes and Man United and you know previewing aspect of the game. And Dave, Analytic 5, I'm not sure if you want to plug in quickly. Yeah, yeah, just uh, you, it goes out twice a week now, Tuesday, Friday. Um, go up to go on to Analytics Five Twitter and um, and just sign up for free there. You know, I won't I won't keep too much of the airwaves, but it's uh, it's good and people enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, stay tuned to Man United then. Yeah, yeah, uh, we yeah we appear to have a title race. Um, Dave, what are your general thoughts on United from a distance without going into? Going through detail just yet. What are your thoughts on United and their ability to maybe win this title ahead of Liverpool? Mm. Yeah, it's um, you know I, I suppose at this stage, it, I'll caveat initially and say it, it seems to be an ever-changing landscape at the top. You know, there's a few teams that we've kind of tipped to be there or thereabouts, and then they very quickly drop off. I think two of those teams have been Tottenham and Chelsea so far this season. I'm not writing either of them off, but. You know, at one point they looked legitimate, then they didn't again, and now they're somewhere in between. I'd say in terms of United, you know, you have to take them seriously because irrespective of, you know, performance indicators, which I'm sure we'll we'll come on to later in the episode, so I won't go too much into now. But if you look purely at results and points accumulated, you know, at this stage of the season, they've, they've accumulated the most. And it's that simple. And as I said, irrespective of what the performance indicators are saying, um, you know, they they have got the most points on the board so far, so they've got a really good platform to enter this second half of the, the campaign. Um, and I think and, and something that is really crucial from their perspective that maybe gets overlooked by some is there's a little bit of growing belief in their camp now, um, which I think is a is a big factor. You know, the psychological side of things. It does seem like they, they can kind of go into any game and believe they can they can win. Uh, you know the, the asset test I guess is, is Anfield this week because nobody's going to run there in was it three years is it um, so yeah. it's a long time anyway probably come up to 70 games now so that's the asset test but yeah I think 
there's growing belief and there's points on the board, and for that reason, you, you take them serious. I mean, I must admit, I, I didn't think they would be here. Um, I think since he signed Bruno Fernandes, who we will get to, they have been, it's felt like they've been coming. They have been climbing, gaining a little bit of ground and all that sort of stuff. But not not strengthening in the summer, or not appearing to strengthen really where they needed to and stuff like that. I just thought they'd kind of fall off and then kind of suffer a little bit from that. And they wouldn't make that final step that they needed to to climb over Liverpool and City. But I'm actually going to give a little bit of credit here to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer because I think I think the way in which he's managed the squad has been. I, I do think he's a, he, he can manage a squad, Solskjaer, and I think the way he's been given, you know, odd odd player profiles like Pogba, and he's got Van der Beek there now. He's got Cavani who came in in a less than ideal uh, deal. It, you know it, the way he's used each player, it, it it has it is delivering points, and I think you know c- courtesy of our producer who mentioned this before you actually joined the call, Dave. United are the only team in the league this season to be averaging over two points a game. Uh, I I wasn't actually aware of that they're averaging two point one two points per game, and the second best is Liverpool on one point nine four points per game. Usually, most seasons you'll get a you'll get a few teams may, maybe averaging over that figure. I'll, I'll double check now what it was last season. But yeah, I think it's it's one of them campaigns whereby anything can happen really, and the margins are at finer than usual. We've mentioned this a few times now, the past few weeks, and I just think United have have took have made use of that more so than any other team. You know, they've scored a few late winners, a few comebacks, benefiting from penalties, of course. And it's delivered results, and the results it's delivered in seasons gone by still wouldn't be enough to even be close to the top. But this season, it you know it is. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's uh, I think what's really important is as well they've come. You're talking about the squad management there. Um, I think they've Solskjaer's rotated the side really well through a difficult period. You know, the festive period is tough every year. This year in particular, it's been difficult. But if you, if, I mean, if you look at basically from that the the, the Leipzig defeat where they, they obviously crashed up the Champions League, uh, they've only lost one game since the, the beginning of December, um, and that was against City in the League Cup. But they played City in the league in that time. That was a nil-nil draw. But you know, they've, they've had some tough games um, in that period, and and they've come out with with big points, you know, big wins and. I said that that does just breed this mentality that um, you know potentially the the day for the long haul. You know they're they're going to go all the way to at least challenge come the end of the season. Yeah, I've just a little check back now back to the twenty seventeen season. Um, up until now, and each season there's at least two teams with an average points per game of over two points. Um, in the twenty seventeen eighteen season, there's three. This season, obviously, as I said, there's only one. That's Man United, and they're not comfortably over the two point per game mark. You know, they're only finally over it. Looking at um, five thirty eight prediction model, so this this is a you know statistical predictor as to the likelihood of each team winning the Premier League. Man United currently on twelve percent, Liverpool fifteen percent, and. Manchester City sixty seven percent, which seems very, very, um, very in favour of Guardiola's team. But I think just based on the underlying numbers, I think the five thirty eight model has always liked Manchester City, hasn't it? Always, um, always tips, tips at City every year. It was tipping City about January last season, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and if you if you look at understat, so understat have got a bit of an expected points side column in their table Liverpool should be top at the minute with 32 points expected that is and but that's obviously City have got two games in hand Man United should be on 28 about 28 points so um, according to understand Man United are currently overperforming their points by about 7 or 8 uh, which is the second most or third most in the league the only two teams who will overperform their points by more than that 
uh, Southampton and I'm sorry, Dave Everton. <laughs> um, so that that type of thing does sometimes suggest that regression is on the cards. But Liverpool have been overperformed for the past few years. Like last season, Liverpool overperformed by twenty four points, which mm. suggests that they're doing they're doing something beyond what the model's picking up on to get these to get these wins. Yeah. Um, just on that point, sorry, this is something that, you know, I I think is op- often missed by people who rely so heavily on expected metrics. Um, you know, they're really good indicators, but at the end of the day, they're not exact science and, and they do have kind of blind spots. And I think a key thing there is, you know, we use Liverpool, the example, like they have overperformed, but they've got elite players in, in the squad, especially in attack. And for me, so Manchester United, you know, they've got really good forward players, you know, players like Fernandez who, who are really good from distance. And so these things can kind of um, really assist you in overperforming. But, you know, Josh, you say it a lot. Um, you're only as good as your players, aren't you? Um, if you think of like a team like Brighton, who, who show up really well on the expected metrics, but obviously don't convert that as well into points because, you know, they don't convert to the high enough rate and things. Um, whereas yeah. United are the opposite. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, that's that's one of my favourite phrases, that one, you know, because you players. But um, one aspect of the table that I like, to, I like to look at goal difference quite a lot. I think that's quite a, generally a good indicator as to where the team's going to end up at the end of the season. Liverpool are currently top of the goal difference table, plus plus 16. Um, then there's a group of teams. Man United are sixth, I think. Yeah, sixth for the goal difference, plus 10. They're currently on at the moment. Um, so it just suggests that may- maybe they're not winning games to the extent that Liverpool are. Maybe they're scraping over the line a little bit more. Still on the positive, of course. And the expected goal difference table. Um, Liverpool plus 13.1. Man United, again, much lower down, about fifth on plus 6.3. Um, and if you look at the expected goal difference per 90... You've got Liverpool and City out in front, then a little bit of a gap to Villa and Chelsea, and then another gap to teams that are a bit more normal, and Man United lead that normal group. What that kind of indicates is is the difference in performance between Team A and Team B. You know, if you've got if Liverpool, Man City at top plus 0.82, that's the biggest difference between team A and team B performance wise you know excluding refereeing decisions excluding luck and all that sort of stuff um, but Man United aren't really winning the performance to to such a level comparable to Liverpool and Manchester City that is um, and that, that sort of thing just suggests that you know further down the line maybe when things aren't really flying for them things aren't they're not getting rubber green as much their performances are kind of taking care of the results a little bit less than Liverpool's are and City's are. Um, and that you generally need that over the course of a 38-game season. You know, I say to you quite often, don't I, Dave, that sometimes I say it in FPL terms, <laughs> but, the, but the, the season is long. Um, and, we, we, you know, we have to remember, don't we, that we're, we're only 17 games in. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, you, you, you know, basically everything that's happened so far, and it already feels like a bit of a, a slog in many ways. You know, you've got all that to go again. Um, so a lot of conclusions seem to be drawn at the halfway point here, but there is a lot of football to be played. There's not necessarily going to be a settled schedule either playing it. Um, as we've seen, you know, there's fixtures getting cancelled and having to squeeze fixtures in, changes of opponents. It's not going to be smooth sailing from this point. So it's uh, definitely the way I see Manchester United now. I see them as maybe a top four or five team, um, but they've had things go in their favour that have tipped the results more towards the win column. Um, you know, games where it's yeah, been yeah. in the balance, yeah, and they could have quite easily gone the other way if if things panned out a little bit differently. Uh, I think for United, it's been panning out in their favour. Uh, which you know does happen. Um, it's just, yeah. Well, I keep saying, no, I, I tried to allude to this point at the start of the show. 
what I keep saying is that, but a lot of that's you know been and gone now, and sometimes um, when it is kind of in the balance a little bit, it, it can be luck, but they, they've accumulated those luck in parts, and and they've got the points on the board now, and it'll just be interesting to see how the how the next stage, you know, the second half of the season goes, whether they can now build upon that, or there will be aggression, uh, regression. Sorry, in line with some of the performance indicators. Yeah, I agree with what you're saying there. I think when it comes to the actual performance of a team, you know, as a unit and basically being better than your opponents, I don't actually think United have that much on their side. I think I'd agree that they're around, you know, maybe fourth, third, maybe third to sixth in and around that comfortably, not even close to Liverpool and City. But I do think that the, the players they've got at both ends of the pitch, I do think just deliver a bit more and yeah. just kind of um, bridge that gap a little bit. I think that's probably the best way of putting it. They kind of bridge the performance gap by just delivering. And at the end of the day, that's what you need to do to win football matches. You know, you need, you need to score goals and at the, at the opposite end of the field, you need to prevent them. And I think Brighton are probably yeah. a perfect example of that. A good performance team, but at both ends of the pitch, they're not, they're not winners. At the end of the day, they're not, they're not really um, inclined to Deliver, um, hence, hence why they're near the bottom of the table. I just want to add on that point because I thought it was really interesting when you said about um, you know tending to deliver and uh, you know staying, going on to win games and things. I think going back to the kind of mentality aspect, aspect, it's really interesting. That I'm just looking at it now. They've they've conceded the first goal of the game um, eight times out of the seventeen matches, which is really high. And we've talked about this in the past about how it does influence results. Um, certainly puts you on the back foot. But no team has, has picked up more points after conceding first. They've picked up 18 points. So they basically conceded first in eight matches, won six and lost two. Um I do think that's that's a that's quite a um, like that's a mentality thing that, you know, going behind and having the the kind of mindset to not, you know, um maybe dwell on it or whatever terms you want to use, just basically coming back into the game and having like ambitions to not only, you know, recover a result, but go on and win it. It's just little things that kind of can be these little minor details that can be the difference between, you know, being like a, the top five team, and maybe pushing for that top two position. It's a mentality thing, but I think it's also a, um, you know, having, having solutions, having, having ways around certain problems. Cause I think, I think this season Liverpool haven't really been as good at getting round a problem when they concede first, mm. uh, and I, and I'd I'd put Liverpool's mentality right up there with the very best, but just in terms of finding that goal, like if you look at what if you look at what United can do when they need a goal, they haven't really suffered many injuries this season, and if they need a goal, you know you've got Bruno Fernandez, you got Paul Pogba, Martial, Cavani, Rashford, Greenwood. On the beach, and a potential set piece with like some Maguire. So you have got goals in that team, and it, it it is one of them that I think maybe less so compared to other games, other opponents that Liverpool faced this season. I don't think the entirety of of, of this comes down to you know who scores first. I think th- this is going to be a ninety minute contest for me. Um, but one interesting little note to do with the fixture. This is actually the first time Liverpool have faced Bruno Fernandes' version of Man United, uh, which seems quite surprising, really, considering he's been there just just under just under a year now. But Liverpool obviously haven't faced United once yet this season, even though it's January. And last time around, when they brought him in, I think Liverpool just faced United, so it's kind of had a year. There and he's he has made quite a difference, hasn't he? Since he's moved there, the, the, you know the the outlook at Old Trafford is completely different compared to just before he arrived. Solskjaer's now now appears safe in the job, whereas beforehand he was kind of hanging on in a way. Uh, but you know what 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 are your thoughts on Fernandez? Because I, I think this is this is probably the most dangerous player Liverpool have faced, probably the most dangerous United player Liverpool have faced for quite a few years now. I'd say. Mm. Yeah, he's a. Uh... He's been, you know, pretty much a, a transformational sign, and hasn't he really? 
if you think of the creative plays that United had before they arrived, you've got obviously Pogba, who's a who is a really good player, but there's always kind of question marks about his you know best position on the pitch, um, and he, he really seems to do it over a prolonged period for me. Pogba, he kind of does it in in stages, you know, fits and scoffs type thing. Uh, so you got Pogba, you got. Juan Mata, who's you know way beyond his best at this stage, uh, and you've got like a Ling- Lingard, Jesse Lingard, who we you know we know he hasn't really got any real output. So th- there wasn't really that creative spark in the team. The, the main form of attack, and it did work to an extent in in a lot of fixtures, was was pace, you know, through the likes of Martial and Rashford and Daniel James to a lesser extent, but. Um, that's not you can't always play with pace and and, and win games and. Now they've brought in a serious output merchant, you know, someone who makes things happen. He he's, he, he attempts tons of you know passes into penalty area, loads of uh, through balls. He takes loads of shots. He's he's a danger from set pieces. He's completely changed the attack. Um, and I know he, his numbers were really good when he was when he was in Portugal, um, but there was obviously question marks about whether he'd be able to replicate them in the Premier League and. You'd have to say twelve months in now. He's uh, even with the pattern of taking penalties. He's he's proven that he can. He he just does stuff that matters. I think that that's what I really like about him. I must admit, even though he's nice, even though he's a United player, I am a big fan of his because when when I watch him play, I just I think about the I can't help thinking about the value that he's adding on the pitch. You can look at how many times he loses the ball and stuff like that. But if you actually look at him as a player, you know he's not he's not the strongest. He's not particularly quick. Uh, you, you know, players of his mould, maybe I've I've kind of been bullied a little bit in England, uh, or or maybe drifted into irrelevance almost. But, but Fernandez does stuff that just matters, stuff that matters in in terms of winning. You know, just delivering results, the passes he tries, the shots he takes, the moments he he provides. You know, stepping up for penalties and scoring them. Uh, taking set pieces and stuff like that, just things that get you over the line, things that matter. Uh, Bruno Fernandes has followed him, and I think mm. we, we we did mention this sort of thing when he signed. And I, I recall us saying, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how this player fares because he he does kind of do everything, and he he mm. fair play to him. He's he's done exactly that since he came. I think United have let him do that by giving him all the set pieces and giving him the number ten slot and stuff like that. So I think he's been given the surroundings roughly that he had. In Portugal, uh, but yeah, he's just you know one of the most dangerous players in the league, and I think if we use, there's a number of different statistics we can use to, to capture his his influence, and I've used two of them specifically for the newsletter. Those two I'm going to keep for the newsletter, and I'm, I'm not going to mention in this podcast now. But if if, if we use stats bombs, shot creating actions, which are um, you know the the, the two. Hang on, I got a definition. So the two offensive actions directly leading to a shot, such as passes, dribbles, drawing fouls. Um, so Fernandez, in terms of shot creating actions per ninety this season, top of the league is Jack Grealish with seven per ninety. Then Kevin De Bruyne with six point two per ninety, and then Bruno Fernandez with five point seven. Liverpool don't actually have a player until you get to. 19th and then you've got Sadio Mane uh, but yeah I think it's it's probably one of them it's, it's probably an approach whereby if Liverpool stop Fernandes from playing you're probably doing a lot in terms of taking care of the results obviously it wasn't the case last night against Burnley Pogba ended up stepping up but I do think if you take care of Fernandes you, you do a lot towards delivering a win yeah, you know, at the very least, I think you've unsettled the attack a little bit. Um, but what I will say is, I think that's easier said than done because he's um, he's he's the he's the type of player who just has this ability to 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 make things happen. If it's not going his day, he can kind of just pop up from nowhere. And I think a lot of that does come down to that um, that almost relentless willingness to try and create things, you know, make things happen. You, you talked about how many times he gives the ball away and stuff. I'm just, I haven't, I haven't got them to handle it. His, his passing numbers will probably be, you know, relatively poor 
Uh, well, certainly lower than what people would expect, but it's because he's someone who just tries so much, um, so many kind of high risk, he... high reward type passes uh, that eventually they, you know, they, they end up being worthwhile and, and rewarding. Yeah, I was just going to add then that I think he loses the ball. Last time I checked, I think he loses the ball roughly twenty five percent of the time when he's on it. Mm. So you, you know, we, a, a quarter of the time he's on the ball, it results in a turnover. Yeah, but that's you know that these turnovers turnovers are obviously happening um, higher up the pitch with less risk and and it it it, it it's 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 part and parcel of his game, isn't it? It's like you know. Trent's numbers, uh, passing numbers aren't always great, but we've touched on that before. It's um, it's because you're trying to make things happen, and those passes that are successful will be so much more valuable than having a you know a pass success rate of ninety six percent. But it's all it's all safe and secure. Um, it's it's yeah, it's I just I think that's worth putting out. Sometimes it can be a little bit misleading. You see it, and you think you know he gives the ball away a lot it's, it's not giving the ball away it's 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 chance creation isn't it and inevitably it won't always come off but he's just one of those players i think who um who just has that in his locker analyzing anfield on the blood red channel how did liverpool take care of this how did liverpool take care of this player considering he's clearly a danger liverpool will be aware probably from a numerical perspective of how much value he's adding. I mean, you know, I'm sure that goes into Liverpool scouting reports and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, how do you take care of this player? I assume Liverpool will use some form of 4-3-3, considering that would offer a, a lone six defensive midfielder type who can kind of occupy the same space that Fernandes wants to. Maybe there's, there's been the odd shout of a 4-2-3-1, whereby Liverpool will use a double pivot and maybe... To get two players occupying Fernandez in a way, I suppose. Mm. But it's it it's it probably is one of them that you do have to in some way, even though it's at Anfield, you do have to in some way cater for the threat that he's gonna offer. And you have to kind of put a ceiling on it at least. You you have to you have to limit it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it is hard and and the thing is as well, because of that, um you know the way you said United have basically given him everything. Because he's got that Freedom in the side, he can he can basically pop up anywhere. Like we're talking about, you know, potentially putting two in in the middle, um, in between the midfield and the fence. But the reality is, you know, he could be coming short into the left back earlier, right back. He he's really difficult to track, and I don't know if maybe the answer is to to almost man, try and man mark him in the game. Um, but I've seen teams try and do that this year, and like what happened with Burnley. You know, focusing so much on and create spaces for other really good players that United have to expose. You know, dropping into those spaces that are vacated. Um, so it is a little bit of a headache. It's it, it's a tough one, I think, tactically to to to, to plan for and to, a player who's quite difficult to to make to to kind of prepare uh, prepare and defend against. Yeah, w- one thing that's difficult to do when it comes to my marketing, one way you get around it. He releases the ball so quickly that you know you can't man mark him permanently because sometimes the the opposing you will have the ball. So if you have the ball, it's going to be pointless man marking Bruno Fernandez. So, but but then if you lose the ball and Bruno receives the ball seconds before he's about to start getting man marked again, it, as I said, he releases it so quickly. Mm. Usually, quality would you know would 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 quick players running and behind the likes of Rashford and stuff. It's difficult to keep a lid on him for ninety minutes. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot here, Dave. What, what what would you do in terms of Liverpool's centre back pairing and Liverpool's midfield two slash three? Have you got any thoughts on that? Assuming Matip is fit, because I, I think he might be. Mm. Well, I think I think if they are, I think it's probably the most. Mm, I don't know. Like you, are you going Henderson centre half or are you going Williams? Mind you, I suppose if Massive's playing, you could go Massive yeah. Fabinho. Fabinho, yeah. I just think I wasn't sure if you were lining up though that Fabinho's such a miss in the midfield. Um, but I, I think that mm. of those two, that's got to be just from what we've seen so far because Fabinho doesn't really look out of place as a centre back, and you know we know Massive's a really good player. He just can't stay fit. 
the midfield's difficult because I I did think uh, specifically in that Southampton game the the right side looked a bit of an issue um, with was it Oxley Chamberlain Josh who played on over that side yeah who who yeah. I must admit seems to be struggling a little bit of like it's understandable given he was out for such a long period but in terms of getting you with him back that looks like a problem for him at the minute. Mm. I'd be inclined maybe to go um, Henderson, Thiago, and Wijnaldum just because I think Wijnaldum does a lot of hard work off the ball uh, on that on the other side, and you know obviously Henderson in there as well. I think that's probably the, my personal best midfield if we're playing three. Yeah, I would agree on that with with Matip mm. and Fabinho as the two centre halves. Hopefully, would you? I'm assuming yeah. you would have Thiago at the base. Yeah, yeah. See Thiago, Thiago up against Bruno. Would be, uh, would be a. Is that, is that something that, would that um, worry you? By the way, off the ball, Thiago kind of his way off the ball, or would you be quite confident? No, I think I think I'd be quite confident. I think I've said before on this podcast. I think Thiago's off the ball work, Thiago's defensive work is quite underrated. I think I don't think he's one of those passengers. I don't think he's a, a luxury type that you need to carry and you need to partner with. You know, I. A, a doggish type player who's going to put his foot in. Mm. I think Thiago's got a little bit of that about him, and I think obviously he's played at the highest level. He's played against top number tens and stuff. Um, I, th- I think he'll, I think he'll cope relatively well. But it's just, it's just keeping a presence around him for the whole game. But mm. I think Henderson, Wijnaldum, and Thiago do offer a lot of defensive stability in, in addition to, you know, what what they're offering on the ball. Yeah. So uh, think- it's 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 a human. Yeah, and I think, you know, you're talking about Fernandez there in terms of his, his quick thinking. I think what Liverpool would benefit from if they do have Thiago there is, you know, when the, when the ball is turned over, he can get the ball so much quicker up to up to Liverpool's forwards, can't they? And you'd imagine, you know, you, you're probably going to see United sitting in for large periods, but I think this is one of the few times where we've spoken the last couple of weeks that there's la- Liverpool's fixtures have lacked that competitive edge a little bit. Uh, it's been, very much been attack versus defence. I think this game will be, at least in comparison to those, uh, a bit more open. I think with, with it being a little bit more open and Liverpool's attackers having that little bit more space, <clears throat> having Thiago able, able to hit them with kind of pinpoint passes very quickly when possession's turned over, I think that'll, that could play into Liverpool's hands a little bit. I mean, one thing I was going to mention on that. I mean, that, that's a little bit further down in the, uh, the the talk, but I think what what I was going to mention on that was I, I still don't think United are at that stage, or whether they will ever be at that stage under Solskjaer, whereby if they come up against a top opponent, I don't think they'll there'll be any kind of struggle for dominance. I think they're more than happy at with, with kind of allowing Liverpool to almost assume what would be the alpha role in the game. And United just kind of picked them off. And I think Solskjaer has been more than happy using a tactical approach of that nature since he got the job in various big games. And I think, especially with this one being A, no fans, and B, away from home against the champions, I think he'll he'll be well aware that he's well within his rights to use a setup like that. I'm not sure Martial will be fit. I think he, he, he came off last night, didn't he, with a, with a problem. So I've lost a little bit of pace there, but I, you know, I know, I know against Leeds a few weeks back, he used Daniel James, who's, who's, who's quick purely for his transitions and stuff. Well, whilst I agree, I do, and you know, that's why I mentioned I expect them to sit in for large periods. The point I'm trying to make is, you know, I'm looking at the fit, the, the possession stats over the last few weeks, and I mean, Villa, you don't really count that was 83%, but. You know, you look like Newcastle 73, West Brom 76. You know, it was like close to 68, Southampton. You know, I do expect it to be maybe more of a 60-40 split. Um, I expect mm. United to want to maybe just, and I said, not, compo- not uh, kind of impose themselves. I just expect it to be a little bit more open because I, I think United might commit with more men in attack. And as I said, when it's turned over, that's the moment where I think Liverpool might have rare kind of tra- transition periods in which to attack that they never really, you know, had previously. Um, kind of like what happened that's against City last year, you know, where they seem to score, uh, was the Salah header, I think, where it's kind of been switched from side to side and then crossed into the box. 
I just wonder if there'll maybe be a couple more of those uh, moments which they haven't really had over the last few weeks. It'll be interesting to see what, what Klopp does with with players like, say, for example, Wan-Bissaka in particular, because he's a player who, depending on the opposing manager, you could add, you could assume the perspective of we want Wan-Bissaka to have the ball because he's not going to... because we feel safe when he's on the ball. He's not going to cause us any particular problems or that sort of stuff. From Liverpool's perspective, specifically Klopp, I'm thinking Wan-Bissaka might be used as some kind of trigger, some kind of... um. You know, the player that we kind of push possession towards before forcing him into a mistake because he's not that good on the ball, basically, because he kind of panics a little bit. But there's two ways you can approach Wan-Bissaka and, and players like that. I think specifically United's fullbacks, but mainly Wan-Bissaka. They're not the strongest, and obviously they're, they're getting marked anyway by the touchline. So if you can force them into mistakes or just allow them the ball, knowing that they're not particularly dangerous, you know, there's two ways of looking at that. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting, Wambasaka. You know, you do. He hasn't quite turned out, I think, the player that maybe they, they thought they were buying, although I'm not really sure what they thought they were doing in terms of the recruitment there. But yeah, he's a, he's a player who's, you know, quite good w- without the ball, but he's a, he is a little bit, you know, one footed. And one thing I will say is I've, I've noticed looking at the numbers over the last few years that Solskjaer is, has definitely implemented a more, uh, you know, possession based approach. The hair goes a lot shorter now with his with his, his passes out um, with goal kicks as well. Whether this will stay against Liverpool, I don't know, but there is going to be opportunities to press um, and you, you, you may be able to force United into mistakes doing that. So, in terms of United's numbers then, you know, we haven't really touched on, on them yet beyond the goal difference stuff. Um, they're currently fifth in the league for shots per 90. Uh, for expected goals, paying thank you, they're also fifth. And if you remove penalties, their XG drops to sixth. Um, so on that, we you know we have to talk about it. There'll probably be plenty of fans screaming at us for the half hour that we've been recording so far for to talk about the penalties that they win. Mm. And this this is generally a topic I try to avoid um, because I, I just hate talking about it. I, I hate talking about penalties and looking at referees and stuff like that. I like looking at performances. But they do win a fair amount. And it got to an, it got to a point last week where, rightly or wrongly, Klopp actually shined a little bit of a light on it and said that something like they've won, since the beginning of last season, they've won double the amount or something like that. What are your thoughts on United winning penalties, Dave? <laughs> I haven't got any major insights on this I think uh, it's, a, it's a big talking point with the Liverpool fan base no I've seen it yeah I've, 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 you know, people have tried to drag me into it but whenever I try and have a conversation I try and add some sort of insight and I haven't really got any on this you know I've looked into the, the kind of touches in the box stuff and tried to compare it you know to see if maybe if United are just naturally taking so many more touches in the penalty area then inevitably maybe that's leading to more fouls but you know, they're not really. It's similar numbers to kind of what Liverpool and City are doing. Um, you know, each of those teams have also got PC attackers like United have. Um, I think... Just I'm on a, that. Yeah. Just on that, on a, on a pay 90 basis, United are currently seventh in the league for touches in the box per match. You know, that mm-hmm. is obviously... I shouldn't have said pay 90, you should have said pay match, really. Um, but they, they average about... About twenty six touches in the boxes per match in, in the box per match, which is level with Brighton. So joint joint sixth, I should have said really. Liverpool top of the league, thirty five point five touches in the box per match. But I I completely get it. I get that point. But I'm not entirely sure you can solely look at that and I think the I think the issue I've got with this, maybe I've got too much faith in, in referees. But the issue I've got with this is that is is the the narrative where people kind of think it's a refereeing bias, and United is just favoured by referees. And I'm I've never really surely not. You know what I mean, I, I I just can't I can't get on board with that one just because of how unlikely it feels. Hmm. I think it's more likely for for me at least to be if you look at United's 
attacking players compared to Liverpool's attacking players, I think United's attackers are, are more likely to go down upon a challenge, with the exception of maybe Salah. But I think if you look at the likes of Martial, I think Martial is just simply put, I think he's better at selling it. I think he's better at selling fouls than, than Liverpool's attacking players are. I can't remember the last time Firmino tried to buy a foul in the box. Sadio Mane generally is up for a bit of a scrap and doesn't tend to try to buy any. So it, it's only really Salah whoever wins any penalties for Liverpool, whereas I think United's attack. Bruno can win one. Rashford comfortably When you say win three. one, Josh, are you saying uh, what, wait, what accusation are you levelling <laughs> at the attackers there? I'm just... I, I just mean in terms of putting the referee in a position whereby he has to make a decision. So if you feel contact, go down. And I think I think Liverpool players are just maybe a bit more inclined to to not do that and to just play on, um, you know, rightly or wrongly. But I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, this is this is the thing. You know, I, I'm sure loads of people have got a theory, but I think a lot of it will be centered around a, a favoritism from United, and I. Um, I just don't feel like I can add that much on, on the subject. I, I agree. I don't think it is that, but I do also think they've been, you know, a little fortunate in parts. But that's kind of the nature of penalties now that awarded. Um, maybe there is an issue in football at the moment where, kind of, insinuating fouls or going down a lot easier is being is being rewarded uh, more than it should be, um, and we might see that change over the next few months. Um, I don't know. It, as I said, it's a it's a difficult one to comment on. Uh, the only good thing I would say from a Liverpool perspective is even though it feels like it happens every week for Manchester United, penalties on the whole, I say this, you know, aware that people will be laughing, but on the whole, they shouldn't be sustainable. So it shouldn't just keep happening over and over. So if a team is benefiting massively from, you know, goals from penalties like United have, uh, the chances are that's that's not going to last. I mean, Leicester, le- you know, Leicester haven't particularly. Yeah. Leicester were benefiting massively to start of the season, weren't they? And it all looked rosy for them, and the penalties had dried up a little bit, and so was uh, so was both the goals and the form. So maybe there's a something that Liverpool fans can look at, and uh, hopefully United will follow that same trend. Yeah, the only, the only reason I've mentioned it is because I suppose there's a slight concern ahead of the game. Because that that feels like one of the ways in which Liverpool could lose this match. With obviously with it being the Anfield record as well, it'd be horrible to lose it to Manchester United. Losing this uh, and the the gap in the table going to six points and it being a penalty, <laughs> you know, it'd be hard mm-hmm. to take. You know what? Um, I have not at any point until you just said that considered that a, a defeat would mean that Liverpool is six points behind United and that same games, isn't it? Yeah, that would be saying games, yeah. I haven't really thought about it much, to be honest, but yeah, I, I felt the need to mention the penalties, but please do not barricade the comments section of this with your opinion on the penalties because it's it's not really what this podcast is about. We look beyond that sort of stuff. We look at performances. Um, penalties just happen. I'm not really too bothered by them. If they happen, yeah, you need to find a way around it. And... Hopefully one won't impact the Liverpool game this weekend too much. I've seen a few stats surrounding, I think it's Paul Tierney who's doing the game and I think something like, I think he's given United a penalty in five of his last 10 games doing them or something like that and he's done the last 14 of Liverpool's games. He hasn't given Liverpool a single one. So these narratives are starting already in that book. <laughs> I, I can see it going just, the other way. Hopefully I, I it does. Hopefully it does, but um, yeah, it's it, it's a combo that I felt well, you had to have, but I didn't enjoy that then. Don't know what you did. <laughs> um, yeah, let's move on. Yeah, so in terms of their numbers on the defensive side, they're actually 10th in the league for shots faced per 90. So comfortably mid-table in terms of present, preventing your opponents from taking shots. And their expected goals against per 90 excluding penalties, actually places them 11th. So I think from the perspective of Liverpool's attack, that probably offers a fair bit of hope and probably more hope than people were aware of because that's that's a mid-table defence. And it's quite weird as well because I remember we spoke last season about United. Last time we previewed United, 
I, I recall us saying that the defence is good because everyone was mm-hmm. criticising, you know, Maguire and suggesting that they need a new centre back and all that sort of stuff. And it, you know, th- those those accusations might have been true, but United's numbers last season, I recall being quite strong this season. That they're not as good, and maybe those numbers suggest that Liverpool are going to get one or two openings. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think they will. Um, that's kind. Of, you're looking basically at it based on performances. You're looking at a kind of mid-table uh, defense, aren't you? So against against the mid-table defense, Liverpool are going to create chances. It's just uh, it's just whether they'll they'll take them in this kind of form that they're in at the moment. I guess. I think one one final aspect that I want to touch on, one slight concern maybe from my side, is I, I don't think Trent has been in particularly great form. I think he got a bit of criticism in his last game. And he, especially if Martial's out, Trent will be up against a player who's roasted him in the past on, <laughs> on, a thing, on, I think, more than one occasion in Marcus Rashford. That doesn't bode particularly well for Liverpool. Obviously, it... It, it will be compensated a lot by Matip's presence. If Matip plays, that'll help a lot. But regardless, Rashford does tend to have the better of, of Trent whenever he plays him. Um, mm. And sometimes Pogba's played on that left of um, of United's attack, depending on wherever wherever other player is, basically. Mm. Pogba's obviously come out of a good game there in form. So I think... Just yeah, just a little bit of a slight concern as to you know, the the left of United attack compared to the right of Liverpool's defence. But I suppose we could level that with the return of Massab, the return of Henderson to the right of Liverpool's midfield. Probably does, you know, battle against that a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's 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 a good point. Um, I think he's a little bit better protected. I think it's weird with Trent because I don't think he's fantastic defensively. Um, you know, we've said before that he he kind of he's he he almost not gets away with it because he's certainly not that bad by any stretch. But because of his attack and output, it's why he, he maintains that position with like undoubtedly without any question. Um, but yeah, you know, it's it's not the strongest part of his game, the defensive side. But then he also defends in a really difficult position in a difficult side. And I know that seems ludicrous, but. You know, often um, when teams kind of create chances against Liverpool, it tends to be on the break, doesn't it? When the team's out of shape, you know, Liverpool normally on attack and possession is turned over and teams just first thought, they don't want to maintain possession. They want to quickly get the ball forward and try and create something. So that means he's often defending, you know, in transitions. And that's really difficult because you're not in the shape that you plan for. You can't really practice defending in transition it's it's really hard and I think that makes him look a little bit worse than perhaps he is sometimes but that being said it doesn't negate from the point that you're making Josh that you know that matchup on paper does look quite difficult and it, it will be important that the likes of Henderson and Matip are all around him and, and you know adding that support in the moments that he'll, that he'll need it So all things considered then mm. what is your verdict what are you expecting here See, I'm going to be the uh, the positive one here. I mean, I'm aware that we've been tipping Liverpool to win through this terrible run every time. Um, and maybe this seems like the game on paper to to go against something else. But I just think, especially if they start the game week as low as sixth, which is possible, you know, certainly going to start it not top of the table. I think that's the. This is just a little bit of the motivation Liverpool needs. You know, suddenly Liverpool aren't the ones being chased; they're chasing the game. And um, whenever they've come up against the big sides and the big games, they've always found another gear. Uh, and I expect that to happen again tonight. I think bizarrely, uh, sorry tonight Sunday. I think bizarrely, there's a little bit of pressure on United. You know, because this is their opportunity to t- to try and legitimise their kind of credentials as title contenders and. Um, that means they can't just go there and get beaten and carry on with the season. If they lose this, it'll feel like it's all a bit of a farce. And, you know, and for that reason, I think they're going to be desperate to get some sort of results. Um, so I'm going to go with a a 2-1 Liverpool win. I, I'm struggling with this one. I find it quite tricky to, to preview. I, I see United's threat and I see, obviously, Liverpool's threat, Liverpool's level. In my opinion, is by far and away above United's. 
but lately it hasn't been. You know, lately I, I, I haven't, I've struggled to put my finger on why lately as well. We just don't seem to have been at the races, and obviously we've faced bad teams really, and I suppose that could be a reason behind it. You know, you mentioned there that Liverpool tends to do quite well against good sides. I've just got up Liverpool's expected goals this season, just in every game, and the top five teams for Liverpool this season in terms of XG against Leicester, against Leeds, against Arsenal, against Atalanta and against Chelsea. They're all decent teams, you know, uh, fairly well coached for the most part, some of them. Um, so, you know, I think you're right there in terms of Liverpool stepping up when he needs to. So if Liverpool step up, I feel like I need to caveat, if Liverpool step up when he needs, like they need to, yeah. this could be a fairly dominant performance. But lately, you know, Liverpool aren't doing that. So I'm finding it tricky to um, to put a verdict on this one. I, th- yeah. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna go a bit more reserved than usual. I don't think Liverpool will win. Uh, sorry, I don't think United will win. I don't think um, Liverpool are gonna lose this one. But I'm I think I'm gonna go one all, um, with the possible caveat again of your two one being entirely possible if Liverpool actually turn up. And Liverpool in this game, should, I've got no reason not to turn up. We had a few yeah. days off. We're now dropping down the table. Our arch rivals have taken the top spot. They're coming to our home, Anfield. You know, it's 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 a huge game. So Liverpool should turn up. If they do, a win is entirely possible. But just based on what's happening lately, um, I think I'm going to side with one one. But hopefully, I'm wrong. I'm more more than happy to be wrong on this on this one. Hopeful uh, to be wrong, even. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've never wanted to be wrong more more than that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we'll round up there anyway. So hopefully Liverpool pick a win. We'll be back next week. Dave, thanks for joining us. Thanks, mate. Thanks, everyone. And yeah, we'll uh, we'll see you next week. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red Channel.